0: good to be here this evening Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity that I'll have to uh, bring a portion of God's word to you this evening and I hope that what I have to say will be beneficial to you that you can take something home and you can apply it we're of course covering the Acts chapter 4 tonight um, and we've had a great study so far in the book on the first three chapters and hopefully that trend can continue So just to give a quick recap on what's going on, in Acts chapter 3, we see that Peter and John go up to a temple. They heal a man who's been lame from birth. Um, We see that all the people are marveling at Peter at this. They come up to him, and he finds that opportunity to set the people straight. He uses that time to preach to them about Jesus, to talk about that they were the people that Put him to death. And he says, even though it was out of ignorance, ultimately it would require repentance in order to come back to God. Um, so at the end, the tail end of chapter 3, we see that Peter is finishing up addressing the people. But we also see at the beginning of this one that uh, it was drawing some attention from some of the, uh, the council. And we'll read of what they do with Peter and John. Uh, let's start out in the first four verses of Acts chapter 4. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people, and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and they put them in in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So... Right away we see that the council, the chief priests, uh, the Sadducees, and the captain of the temple, they arrest Peter and John. Um, they keep them overnight. And I find it interesting that the Sadducees are specifically mentioned. Um, I don't know if this was for this purpose, but they're, they would be considered in today's world kind of the agnostics. They didn't believe in the eternal gifts that God promised. They didn't believe in the miracles that, um, that Jesus did and ultimately what the apostles were doing in his name. So here we have this miracle performed, and this specific group of people is what's mentioned um, that had to deal with Peter and John. So they're taken into custody, custody, and the scripture also tells us that the council was greatly disturbed. And it doesn't say that they were disturbed because they were preaching Jesus, but because they were preaching about the resurrection. Uh, um, uh, Another interesting thing that you can take from that is that they don't challenge what Peter is saying directly. They don't challenge anything that he's saying. Instead, it says they don't like it, and they had to find a way to deal with it, so they arrested them. I think the good news that we can see in this chapter is that in chapter 2, it mentions that 3,000 souls were saved on the day of Pentecost. And now we see that number is almost doubled. It's gone up from 3,000 to 5,000. And when you think of that in this, the scheme that really we've only had... 5,000 souls converted on two sermons, and that's incredible when you think that that kind of reaction is what they were uh, receiving. So it's clear that the Peter and the apostles are making a big impact, and these Jewish leaders are, um, are upset, and they've come flustered trying to find a way to muzzle them to kind of contain this mess that they find themselves in. Let's read down uh, verses 5 through 12. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. so immediately when they come before the council, they ask them, by what power are you preaching are you saying these things and I, that kind of puzzles me because they already knew what they were preaching. They already knew that they were preaching Jesus. They already knew that they were preaching the resurrection from the dead. But that's still their first question that they lead off with. In my mind, they already know the answer. So in response to this, Peter finds another opportunity to teach. But before he begins this time, the scripture specifically states that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the second time in these four chapters that that Phrases used, that somebody had been filled with the Spirit. And it's with the Holy Spirit that he begins to address the council. He explains that by, by the man that the Jews crucified, this lame man was healed. That through this man, Jesus, is the only salvation that we can attain. When Peter is talking about the stone that was rejected um, by the builders, he's referencing a passage in Psalms 118, if you want to turn over there. Um, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. Um, which has become the chief. So in Psalms one eighteen, twenty two through 23, it says the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Peter's explaining to them that this prophecy was fulfilled by their refusal and by their rejection of Jesus Christ. Christ came bringing hope, but instead of receiving that hope as a people, he was put to death So in that way, the builders, which was referring to the children of Israel and God's people, rejected this stone, which was Christ. And that through this, he was able to become the chief cornerstone that is referenced here. And he's able to become our cornerstone. Verses 13 through 22 back in Acts 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they confirmed among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach, in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So Peter finishes his teaching to the council, and they're amazed. They're not amazed at what was said or what had been um, revealed to them, but instead they're amazed that, these, that um, the words came from these two uneducated and untrained men. Both of these men were fishermen, but the council couldn't believe how well-spoken they were. Then it dawns on them after all of this that these, were with, these two were with Jesus. But looking at the next verse, you could tell that they were thinking about disputing them. But they were in a pickle because they wanted to dispute them. They wanted to punish them. But the people, the people that had witnessed all this, saw what Peter had done through Jesus. That this man was healed and that he, um, all these people were glorifying God. And they had no choice but to let him go because um, that was something the council couldn't fault them for. I also like the part where they're threatening them, and to them they say, you be the judge on whether we should listen to you rather than to God, but they were determined to tell what they had witnessed, that they had witnessed Christ, and all the things, all the good news that they had. They also elaborate a little bit on the, um, the miracle that was performed in chapter 3. We see that this man that had been healed had been healed for, um, or he had been 40 years old, for, um, and he had been lame this entire time and so you can tell that there's no um, other source of this miracle other than it being from God so in verses 23 through 31 and being let go they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them so when they heard that they raised their voice to God with one accord and said Lord you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So they're let go, they go back to the apostles and they relay all this information um, that had happened. And right away, we see that they're praying for more boldness. These two men were standing before the council with the Holy Spirit guiding them, and they were addressing them, um, emboldened already, and all they want now is to be even more bold and to go out and do more good things through Christ. To be bold despite the threats that men might give them, to stretch out his hand and to heal that signs and wonders may be done. Verse 25 and 26 is actually another reference to uh, the book of Psalms, but this time it's in Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his annoying. Let us break their bonds in pieces, and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress. Distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. This was another fulfillment of prophecy that the the um, the apostles were referencing. And I believe that reading this we can see that God has ultimate control, that his plan was fulfilled no matter how men tried to deny it, or tried to um, quench the or to stop the plan that was in motion. Once they finished their prayer, we see that the place was shook. And they were once again filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's the third time that that, that that's been stated. They were filled with the Spirit, and God granted them boldness to continue their mission for Christ. And then Acts uh, chapter 4, verses 32 through the end of the chapter. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph who was also named Barnabas by the apostles. Which is translated son of encouragement. A Levite of the country of Cyprus. Having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This sounds pretty familiar because that's basically how chapter 2 finished up as well. They had all things in common. They believed the same, they saw to and filled people's needs. They gave what they needed needed to so that the rest of the body could have what others lacked. And we also see the introduction of Barnabas here, which that's all we're given in this chapter. And we see that he sold his land and his possessions and brought it to the apostles'. So what can we learn from this chapter? Um, I believe that's the purpose of all these chapter studies. and I'm going to be pretty brief, but I think the first thing that we can learn is that we need to be bold in our own lives. But why do we need to be bold? If we compare the time frames of uh, what's going on here in Acts and what's going on now, we're not in the same situation. We're not facing the same things that Christians were back there. We aren't put to trial if we even bring up the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we talk about how bad things are and how bad things may get, and who knows, we may get to that point, but right now, why do we need it in our lives? It's because boldness isn't just needed when there's a threat of danger or a threat on your life. Looking how the word boldness is defined, it is outspokenness, it's frankness, bluntness, publicity, and the one we're probably, uh, we think, is most obvious is confidence. And these are things we all need in our lives, in our spiritual lives. We need to be outspoken about Christ. We need to have an element of publicity in our Christian lives. Not that we rub everybody's noses in the fact that we're Christians, but that while we are a Christian in private, we're a Christian out in public when we go out to work. We don't hide Christ in our lives and wait and wait for someone to get close enough that they just might see Christ's light in our lives. But all those that we come in contact with need to be able to see it. In Second Timothy uh, 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 7, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hand, of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul was writing to Timothy words of encouragement. And here he tells him, we are given a spirit of power, not of fear. We need to have confidence in the promises uh, of God and that they're not only extended to us, but that they're extended to others as well. Another thing I want to talk about is being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you were here for Uncle D's, he mentioned this um, in his lesson because that's all it was, was about them receiving uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit for the first time. They had been promised this, and they waited and waited, and here it was. And already we can see it's not being used sparingly. We see that it's guiding them, giving the words that they needed, And if you consider the fact that the council here in this chapter was blown away, not by the teachings themselves, but that it came from these two uneducated men, we know that God is behind it and that the power of the Holy Spirit is a very strong tool. Um, What's going on in Acts is it's God's work. This is the establishment of Christ's church after his death. And it's important, and God is obviously with them, but the magnitude of what was going on was huge. 3,000 converted in Acts 2, and we see 2,000 more were added in basically just two teachings. They were filled with the Spirit that third time towards the end, and we see it caused the place that they were in to be shaken. But today, we look at how um, what's going on, and things are different. If we're filled with the Spirit, we don't feel the building shake. We don't People don't break out into tongues like we see in some other chapters. But we can still be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians five seventeen through 21, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Our being filled with the Spirit in today's time is evidenced by the way we live our lives, by the way we fellowship with one another, with our interactions, with our thankfulness and everything. I believe we can be thankful, but I think we forget the everything Um, by submitting to one another. An interesting thought I want to bring out is the way it contrasts being filled with the Spirit. It says, don't be drunk or filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What are we filling ourselves with? What are we filling our spiritual lives with? Not just physically, but what's in our hearts and what's in our minds. To be filled with the Spirit, we have to give over our whole will to God. Now, this passage, I don't think, is saying that as long as we stay away from being drunk with wine or being filled with wine, then we're good. We can fill ourselves with whatever else, and that's not true. I think what it's saying is we have to give over to God. We have to let him fill us up completely and leave out all the rest, all the worldly things. We can't have two opposing forces fighting each other within us and be filled with the spirit, and especially not for others to see it working in us. And the last thing I wanna briefly talk about is this concept that's been brought up twice now um, in two separate chapters is they had all things in common. This has been prominent so far. We see that in two instances when we've seen massive growth in the church almost over, it almost seems like overnight, that they were giving away their possessions. They were selling their land. They were giving to those who were in need so that if someone had a lot of something, they were given to someone who had lesser than Why was this one of the first things they did? I believe the answer to that is because they understood they had a bond with one another, that even though we had all this incredible growth in the church, there still had to be growth from within. They had to lean on each other, they had to build each other up for the purpose of uh, building that bond, that fellowship and strengthening of one another. They knew it was necessary, they searched for needs and when they found them, they filled those. They didn't allow for anyone to want if they could help it. And there's a difference between what we see here and probably, I'm not gonna say everybody's tendency, but what my tendency is, it's a lot more comfortable to wait for someone to ask for help rather than seeing someone who might need something and you going out of your way to see if you can do something for them. That's not what having all things in common is. There shouldn't be so much distance between all of us. We need to live this out, and I don't want everybody here to go sell their houses and sell their land or whatever they have. Um... But we need to have this attitude of wanting to help each other out, wanting to grow with one another. And I believe as a congregation we do that very well. The congregation steps in many times and helps fill needs of those who need it. Um, but what about on an individual standpoint when we don't have the church to lean on? Do we foster that growth within the church? And I hope this makes sense, but are, or are we waiting for just more seats to be filled in the church. It's great that we have more and more people come through the doors, but what are we doing with one another to help foster that growth? I want to encourage everyone to be that kind of person that encourages that growth, to contribute to the strengthening of our bond with one another, that we all share and to live it out every day. By leaning on each other, by filling each other's needs, we may find the confidence to have that boldness in Christ and to not hide it away like we may do it sometimes. That's all I've prepared on this chapter. Uh, there's probably a lot more things that you could pull out of it, but that's kind of what stuck out in my mind. Um, if there, we never like to close the service without offering an invitation. If there's someone who has a need that the church can help with, maybe needs prayers or needs help in some way, uh, we stand ready to help you out there. Or if there's someone who has been taught and would like to be baptized, Um, We also stand ready to assist you there. If there be one of either, just uh, please come as we stand and sing the song.